Welcome to Shedding Light Hunting Stories Podcast, a podcast dedicated to the average Joe and their great hunting stories. I'm your host, Travis Williams. You're listening to episode 138. Ladies and gentlemen, we are entering what we would call the pre-rut here pretty soon, within about a week, and so I'm starting to get pretty excited for that. Um, it's getting to be that magical time of year where bucks kind of drop their guards, start showing up in daylight. In fact, five minutes before this podcast began, I got a cell cam picture of a buck in daylight. Now, he's not a giant by any means, but just the fact that I got a decent eight point showing up uh, over by a cornfield running the edges, they're starting to get excited, and so... So am I. <laughs> Hope you all are doing well and uh, your seasons are going well. And uh, I tell you, some of our buddies at Shedding Light have done very, very well. Um, in fact, my buddy Travis Shire is our guest today, and he comes on to talk about the tall eight that he was able to get last weekend. And what a great story. He has a fantastic video that should be out about the time this podcast drops. So if you want to kind of watch along and listen to this podcast as you go to get a detailed explanation, uh, you can go over to Shedding Light Outdoors on YouTube and check that out. Uh, just a quick update. I have kind of toned it down since last weekend. Haven't hunted anymore. Don't have any hunts on the horizon until I really start seeing this buck movement the way I want. And just kind of just chilling. I just want to make sure that the weather's good, spend time with my family, and uh, pick my hunts. So I do have some exciting bucks on trail camera. Um, and, of course, they're showing up at night for the most part. But there are some whoppers. Um, I love being able to hunt my state in Ohio. You just never know what will show up. I got a buck I call Split Daddy. Um, and <laughs> uh, there used to be a buck on the property called Crawl Daddy. And this buck has a split brow. And I've never, don't know that I've ever really chased a buck with a split brow. So I'm excited about that. Uh, there's another buck there, smaller, but still nice, uh, called Eight Ball. I like naming the bucks. Just, I don't know, it's just fun. I don't do it to be possessive or to be goofy or anything I just to me it just helps me whenever I'm talking to my buddies about bucks I can say hey this buck um because you know you say eight point there's multiple multiple eight points so that's just my preference you might have something different and that's okay um I also uh have on another property a buck I'm calling Tro and the reason is my foster daughter I showed her a picture I was like you want to name this buck what do you want to call him <laughs> she goes well let's name him Tro and I was like why Tro she goes you know like Tro cameras I was like Oh, she she thinks that it's Tro camera because of my accent, apparently. So, got Tro. There's another buck over there. I'm calling uh, Daniel Mummery. The Aussie Daniel named him Fish Hook. I sent him a picture. So, got like at least four or five really nice bucks on different properties that, you know, it, will they be there in a week whenever it gets crazy? I don't know, but I am going to find out. So, looking forward to all of that. Uh, today, like I said, my buddy Travis Shire comes on to talk about his 2021 buck and how it all went down. We also dive into cell cams a little bit. Uh, Trav has some funny things to say about cell cams and we talk about his mobile corn strategy. I don't know if uh, you use corn, if you're an anti-corn, there's a lot of opinions on it. And I just got to say, if it's legal in your state and you want to do it, then I'm good with that. Let's agree to disagree and let's still support each other the best that we can. In our state, we can use corn. And Trav has a little bit different philosophy on how to use it. Uh, the typical traditional thing is people will throw up um, corn and they'll run corn over and over again uh, on a spot starting in summer. And sometimes it works for them, sometimes it don't. We have not had a lot of success doing that. In fact, it seems like the bucks pattern us quicker than what we pattern them. And it just, I haven't had a whole lot of luck um, doing that. And neither has Travis. So he has developed what he calls the mobile 
corn strategy. Um, and let's just let me just tell you this: uh, it led to a nice buck this year. Last year, it led to a 163 inch buck, and the year before that, it led to a nice buck as well. So for three years in a row, Trav has used this strategy in October during what is called the lull uh, to kill nice bucks. Um, so you take that for what it's worth. I'll let him describe it to you. We get into the ins and outs of how it works toward the end of this episode. And I think you guys are really going to enjoy it. I enjoy it. Trav's one of my best friends, down-to-earth guy. Make sure you go over and check out that video. His reaction after the shot is is purely um, just authentic, genuine, exciting, you just can't help but be happy for the guy in the moment, especially the fact that he was not sure in December if he would ever shoot a bow again. So that's this story. That's this interview. Let's jump in. Here is my good friend, Travis Shire. Well, guys, I am just tickled pink to have my good buddy back on the show, Travis Shire. How are you, sir? Hey, good, good. Do you think anybody's ever been tickled a different color than pink? Oh, that is, I have never considered that. I don't know. <laughs> what are you doing, man? I, hey, I'll just ate some lunch at Wendy's and uh, pulled into a little grocery store parking lot and just want to chat with you maybe a little bit. Yeah. And uh, this podcast is brought to you by Wendy's. Uh, we love the Baconator and uh, grilled chicken sandwich there. So, yeah, that's a, Actually, it's not. They're not an official sponsor, but I thought I'd throw it in. <laughs> I do. My wife hates Wendy's, so I go there any chance. Like if I'm by myself, Wendy's is my my fast food of choice. Yeah, their fries are pretty good, I'd say. Yeah, I'll take it. So yeah, uh, and you've been hunting a little bit this year, I understand. Yeah, a little bit, not a lot, um, <laughs> but I I did I got lucky and found a little bit of success this past weekend. Oh, cool, um, man. Well, we'll so, talk about yeah. that. That's good, man. Well, give okay. us a little bit of update yeah. on what you're into these days. You've been on the show. I don't need to introduce you guys. Can go back and listen to some of your episodes before. But I thought, you know, I think a little bit has changed in your world since the last time we did that. So yeah. kind of tell us what's been going on, and then we'll get into well, the I, stuff. Well, I had a couple, two major things in the last year. So uh, one of the most exciting things, I in February, I had a little girl, uh, yeah. Lena, and she's eight months old now. And, oh, my goodness, she's so fun. Um, that's a, That's a blessing for sure. Yeah. Um, and then, see, I tore my rotator cuff last fall and I had surgery in January and I had to take like four months off work to recover and honestly just got back to shooting my bow like like uh, probably first of August is when I really got back to to shooting it. So it was a it was a big change. Usually I shoot my bow every day year round and uh, to just to go that long. It's been a while. But so, yeah, anyway, so I had those two major changes uh, come about, but I'm back to shooting and Lena's doing great, and uh, so yeah, that's where we're at. Good man, good. I want to talk about those two things real quick before we get into your story. So, how yeah. has um, you and I talked a little bit about this, like um, yeah. back before she was born? And I don't know that we've really chatted about it since. How has that changed um, how you hunt? Like having a daughter at home, has that changed how you go out? What's I guess what has it changed, if anything? Oh yeah, for sure. Um, so my wife is big into exercising, and. She, uh, and she goes for runs a lot in the evenings because she works all day. Uh, so before, and, and I would do scouting. I would last year, 2020, from July until November, I was out scouting every single evening, basically the last hour of daylight. So this year, when my, my wife usually goes exercising, I've got to stay home with our daughter because she'll be in bed sleeping or, or whatnot. So my scouting has been extremely limited and. Honestly, though, when I'm out, when I'm out and about, I kind of miss, miss the little girl. She's, uh, she's a lot of fun and it's kind of nice to be there with my wife and her and, um, 
I don't know, just sh- share those moments together in the evenings. But that that's definitely changed um, with the with the responsibility. But I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I don't regret that, and I wouldn't change it for the world. So, yeah, yeah, I, I just kids. I mean, they change a lot of things, but it's I I think it's for the better. I mean, it kind of yeah. balances us out a little bit, and it gives us that thing. I mean, definitely makes us want to stay home and enjoy some of those moments, like you talked about. Yeah, absolutely. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. So I remember then, the. Oh, go ahead. Oh, sorry. What, was there another question or? No, no, that was it. Just seeing how that okay. was going. Okay. Yep. Yep. But uh, yeah, I was going to ask. Um, going on from there to like the the shoulder surgery. So, kind of walk us through like that process from you getting um, that initial diagnosis where it, it looked like you would never shoot a a trad bow again, any bow maybe uh, other than like a crossbow, um, to that now you are sh- back to shooting. What was that process like? Kind of bring us through because I'm sure there's some guys listening to this maybe. Um, yeah. they've had that similar, um, shoulder problem, you know, how, how did you recover from that? Well, I mean, I, I had a work related injury and the, the day I did it from that moment on, I could not even reach across to grab my bowstring, let alone pull it back. So it was very concerning. And I, I nursed it as if it was just a pulled muscle for about a month, month and a half. And then in December I had an MRI. Well, actually, in December, they sent me to physical therapy. The physical therapy examined me, and she's like, there's nothing we can do for you. (laughs) You can't even get in the most basic position. So we got an MRI, and then there was a 90% tear in my supraspinatus. And it's it's a huge blessing. Like that 10% it was hanging by really helped the healing process. So basically, the 100% tear would have, I might, I may never have shot again, but since it was a 90% tear, um, it healed better and stronger and, and quicker. So anyway, so then I see, I, I got the results to the MRI the first week of January and my surgeons like, do we need to do this right away? The, the, the sooner to the injury, we do the surgery, the better. So let's see, my daughter's born due February 12th and I have surgery on January 21st. Wow. Um, and so that puts me out. That's, that's a really painful surgery if anyone's ever had it done. And when my daughter was born two weeks later, I was still in the sling and I, I couldn't even change the diaper until she was about a month old. Um, yeah. So, I mean, but in a way it's a little bit of a blessing um, because so my, I had a dog for 12 years and he, he passed away the day we brought our daughter home from the hospital, which is terribly tragic, but there's three weeks. I was, I was first three, three weeks after surgery. I got to spend a lot of time with him. So that kind of really meant a lot. And then it also forced me to take off the, the first three months after my daughter was born. So I got, I got to be there um, with my wife and my daughter for, for the first three months every day. And I, I know it was a hindrance having that surgery, but there's a lot of, I feel a lot of blessings came out of it too. Uh, just by like, I mean, the timing is almost like strategic by God. <laughs> it almost feels like sometimes, um, yeah. So anyway, so physical therapy, um, I mean, if anyone ever has a surgery, you got to do your physical therapy. And I was adamant about doing it and, um, it started to feel better. I don't know, probably about six to eight weeks after the surgery, I was like, okay, this thing's starting to get better because up to that point, it actually hurt just as bad or worse than it did before surgery. And then I, I, I got to a point in May, uh, about three months after uh, my surgery, 
the doctor released me. He's like, you can do anything you want. Just go home and lungs doesn't hurt, do whatever you want. And at that point I had been actually shooting a bow, maybe like three times a day, like a, like a 25 pound bow, like three times a day, a few days a week, just a few shots. So <laughs> I went home in May after my doctor told me that. And dude, I shot like 30 shots and I, and I woke up the next morning and my show, I thought I retore it. It was oh, the worst man. pain ever. And I, and I was back to where I was. I couldn't, I couldn't draw my bow. And mm. so I actually scheduled another appointment with the doctor and he's like, no, no. He's like, you've just really made everything really mad in there. He's like, nothing's torn. Um, just rest it. And so from May, um, until July, I didn't shoot again. And, and about June, I contacted a guy, Christian, uh, I can't remember his last name, but Christian from Archery Strong. Yeah. And he started me on, um, he's a physical therapist that specializes in nothing but archery, shoulders and injuries. He started me on a program and um, I did that for the month of June. And then finally, like second week of July, he's like, okay, you, you can shoot. He's like, after your exercises, you can shoot three shots and um three shots and then like say that was only a 30 pound bow so that's the first of july and by the end of july i was up to nine shots after my exercises and then it wasn't until sometime in august where i got up to actual hunting weight so yeah that's kind of been my recovery process and i really had to take it slow at work there'd be days at work i'd be painting i'd have to quit at noon just because the the pain would be annoying. So I don't know that might be a longer answer than what you wanted. But. No, that's, that's perfect. Cause I think there's so many guys out there. I mean, I, I didn't realize, <clears throat> I haven't really experienced that a whole lot, but I know guys that shoot trad, especially it seems like, uh, or guys that try and just pull back like ridiculous poundages, our buddy, Eric, I mean, he had surgery yeah. as well. I think he's had maybe two surgeries. I don't know. Um, yeah, I think he has, yeah. but yeah, I, I think, um, Archery Strong was definitely something I know that had helped you a lot, and um, I think we've had him on this podcast before, Christian Williams, and kind of yeah, Christian Williams, yeah, he yeah. he well, he gave me a he gave me a he was very stern about limiting my shooting because <laughs> sometimes I have no self control in the number of shots I take, so yeah, um, that that helped. Yeah, he was a big help. I also remember during turkey season, uh, one of the things you had to realize is that you had to shoot your uh, gun left handed, which uh, yeah, was definitely a challenge. Said, yeah, the doctor said not to do gun with recoil on that shoulder. And uh, so actually the morning we we hunted together, I shot at a turkey and I had practiced left-handed, but in the heat of the moment, I picked it up and shot right-handed and uh, it didn't hurt my shoulder and I, and I missed the turkey. But anyway, yeah, that was that was challenging for sure. But yeah, I had to go back and look. Episode, if anybody's curious about, Arch, if you want to know a little bit more about Archer Strong, episode 122 is uh, the one where he came on this show. But so that, that leads us up, Trav. Um, so yeah. finally, you're starting to shoot again, feeling better, and kind of bring us through a little bit. Uh, you and I, of course, we in the summer, it used to be like trail cam pictures. And I, I got to say, this year, I, maybe a little bit more, I got back into the trail cams just because of these cellular cameras. That kind of oh, yeah. entered the world a little bit more, and so that became exciting. But kind of bring us through kind of your early season and what you were seeing out there and um, just kind of yeah. your game plan going in. Okay, for sure. Yeah, cell cams are amazing, by the way. If you don't have one, um, man, it's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun. But anyway, so I um, so I had a buck last year called Picket Fence, and I killed my buck, the Big Ten. And after I killed him, this buck called Picket Fence moved in. And he basically, I called him Picket Fence because he was a mainframe 10, but for every time, he had an extra time, extra split off. So he was, I had like 15 or 20 points. and um, 
anyway, I was like, well, I can probably get on this deer and kill him this year because, or kill him in 2021 because I had a ton of history with him um, in 2020. So anyway, he, actually in August, uh, I was doing an early morning scouting trip and the farm I hunt is very, a little bit spoiled because I can see a majority of it from the road. So firsthand observations, how I do my scouting. But anyway, I, I, I found that buck and he was in a bean field and he was larger than ever, probably 170 inch buck. And uh, so I started picking him up through August and September, like he was getting to be really patternable. And then towards hunting season, the end of September, he, he moved into the same territory as what he was running last year. And he was al almost walking in the exact same steps and the exact same pattern as the big 10 did that I killed the year before. And honestly, I, I was feeling really good about killing this deer. So I, I do use a little bit of a corn strategy and a few days before the season came in, I think season came in on Saturday, I think it was Wednesday, Tuesday or Wednesday before that I, I dumped out a, a bag of corn right, right in this, uh, clover plot or clover meadow, uh, pasture that he, him and some does have been feeding in. And we had a huge cold front blow in, um, that Wednesday and Thursday night, an hour before dark, he's standing there at that corn pile with his does. And I'm like, dude, this guy's going to die on Saturday because the cold front was carrying over to Saturday and see Friday night. I didn't, I didn't check when I went to a football game Friday night, but so Saturday comes, I'm really optimistic. I, I just know what this deer is going to do. I get set up and I'm about 150 yards from the bedding area. And I'm just, just waiting on to get a little, the shadows to start getting longer and, and get towards dusk At about five o'clock. I hear a shotgun pow, right, right up on the ridge in front of me, right in the middle of his bedding area. And so I'm like, oh boy. And then so about 15 minutes later, I hear another pow. Oh boy. So, and then maybe around six o'clock, you know, it's starting to get really good, like towards dusk. And this, this old van pulls up and I know who the guys are. There's some squirrel hunters. They, they only squirrel hunt. And I'm like a hundred yards off the road, but they kind of pull up right along the road parallel or just directly off the road right next to me there. And they get out and they start whistling. Hey, Hey, come on. And uh, a few minutes later, here comes this dude right out of picket fences bedding area carrying two squirrels. Oh, no. And uh, I'm like, oh, boy. So I, I ended up not seeing a single deer that night. And oh, I man. kind of I, I kept my attention out, but I never I haven't seen picket since then. Um, wow. I, I keep a good eye on this farm and I have not seen the buck since that day. So what do you think anyway, happened? He's you think there. He's... What's that? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I was about he to probably, ask what you think happened to him. I think he just went nocturnal and moved in a little bit deeper. So something tricky about this farm, it's 150 acres roughly, and 140 of the acres are pretty much field. So the buck doesn't, he, he, he's not betting on the farm I can hunt, and he probably just went a little deeper in the timber. Yeah, uh, I'm sure he's probably running all over that place at night, but he, he just doesn't feel comfortable to be there in the daylight right now. Yeah, um, that may ch I mean, that may change. I don't know but yeah. so anyway I, I remember you calling me and telling me that and i was like you've got to be kidding me because i i was expecting I, I was really expecting to get the phone call i was like he's got this like and, and yeah. let's talk about that for a second it, i mean we'll, we'll come to maybe the corn strategy but it just seems like going, kind of going in or like the last few years you've kind of gained a confidence that you can do this what, what do you think's contributed to that um 
I think um, I've tried, I've done a lot of almost all the wrong things and (laughs) (laughs) I know what doesn't work. Um, And then I've, I've started, well, honestly, I do do the mobile corn strategy and I really think what's made me get more efficient is when I hunted with a crossbow and a compound, I was like, okay, if I can get within 40 yards, I can, I can kill them. Um, but to get them within recurve range, 20 yards and in, I've had to up my game. Like I've had to be more, um, on purpose. I've had to be more, um, strategic. And by doing that, to trying to get them in within 20 yards, it, it seems like I'm more effective of getting bigger bucks within that range now too. Um, so anyway, I don't know if that makes a difference or not, but yeah, I, I think so. I mean, I, I know you mentioned that like a, a while back, you know, um, hunting with the corn, it's not just like throwing out the pile. Well, I, I want to get to the strategy, but I kind of want to unpack the whole story first. And we'll come back to that. But sure. I just think with you, you've kind of t- taken your game to the next level, like you said, and you've been able to really kind of uh, understand the property that you're on and, and not just go for me. I think what I struggle with sometimes you and I've talked a lot about this is I, I listen to a thousand podcasts and I watch a lot of videos and sometimes they're good information, but how does it apply to where you are? And what I think you've done a good job of is really understanding the property that you have. You have this property, you know, the bucks, you know, where they're bedded, you know, where they're going. And then the corn just directs them to where you want them to be. And I I think that's just, I think that's helped a lot kind of going in because you feel that confidence. And I think that's where a lot of people, sometimes they lack that a little bit kind of going in. So, yeah, I I would say, I would say there's no replacement for hunting a property for multiple years and kind of understanding it. Like if this was my first year hunting this farm, I, I would not be as confident. And my hat's off to guys that hunt in States that don't allow corn and for guys that don't choose not to use it. I, I think I would definitely have to put in a way higher quantity of hunts if I did not use the corn. But, yeah. um, so anyway, yeah, so that's, uh, that's that's what we got there um is that gotcha. is that kind of what you meant or yeah absolutely and I, I let's just put it this way guys keep listening we're gonna do uh can we travel in a little bit can we unveil the secret the corn the mobile corn strategy just a 101 here in a little bit but we're gonna go through the sure. whole story first is that all right yeah let's do the story okay let's do the story right, so so picket so fence pick, disappears we're from there picket is missing in action first week of the season i've got no bucks nothing um and let's see if that one evening that week i was driving the farm and see this farm has one bedding area it's about a it's a 10 acre piece a 10 acre patch of of, of timber and, and brush and it's maybe 100 yards wide by 400 yards long and it's got like a little swampy pond area in it and 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 there's some rolling hills back there with a bunch of clover and stuff and one evening right about dusk i see a nice tall rack poking his head up over that hill looking around and i'm like oh okay there's a buck that's worth going after so i uh, get in there on on the so on the south side of this there's a there's a lush clover field and i i've seen those in there all the time but no bucks so i put a trail camera right there coming out of that bedding area and sure enough within the first couple days that was there i checked it and i called him the tall eight probably a three-year-old eight point and uh, tall eight was on there he was coming out of that bedding area just like i thought and um so he, he was definitely definitely living there and see this bedding area is special because it only holds deer until about the till the foliage is gone once once the leaves fall off and the foliage is off 
it's too open in there and they don't feel safe. So yeah, I was like, I was like, this is cool. He, he's living there. And as long as they're not disturbed, they usually stay pretty close in there. And, and it usually holds a good buck. So I, I kind of know what I'm dealing with here. And on the south side, I, I dumped out about 15 pounds of corn. I just wanted to see if he would be day, if he would daylight. And nope, he sure didn't. He did not daylight. He would get there about 8 p.m., 8.30, you know, just after shooting light. And I'm like, okay, well, I don't want to mess with him down here on the south because I can only hunt him here on a southeast wind and it would probably swirl. So I'm like, I don't want to play the game with him here. So I totally pulled out of that Clover Valley and I on the south side and I went clear around to the northwest corner no, I'm sorry, to the northeast corner of this plot, which the north side of this bedding area is um, a big bean field. Mm-hmm. And I knew there was an edge scrape up there that got worked pretty aggressively every year. I knew it would get, it got opened up usually in early October and um, you could just about count on it. So I went up there, um, put up a cell cam. I opened up that scrape. It had not been opened yet. And sure enough, within a couple of days, I got him that tall eight in there working that um, scrape. And, and there's actually two bucks running in there. There was a big 10 point and, but the tall eight was more aggressive. Every time I got pictures of them together, the, the tall eight was, had his ears back and he was backing down the, the 10 point. So anyway, the 10 point eventually moved out like the second week of October or something like that, or first week of October. So let's see here. So it's like, um, first, first part of October. And, and I went in there with 20 pounds of corn. I want I was like, all right, let's see if this dude is, is ready to be killed. And, uh, sure enough, he, no, he definitely wasn't. He was, uh, an hour after dark again, but, but his, there was a few does in there in daylight. So I'm like, okay, so we're in the game still. And, Every time I'd freshen up that scrape, he would be there within 24 hours and just work it over hard. He spent like five minutes at it one night. Um, and so, so we're just kind of going through this. Um, and let's see. Okay. So the first two weeks of October are really hot, really warm, just right. absolutely miserable for deer hunting. And it's about maybe like the eighth or the sixth of October. I see in the 10 day forecast for Saturday, the 16th, Mark Drury's um, app says dark green for Saturday evening. We're, we're getting a cold green. front. Finally, <laughs> finally getting the cold front and it's, it's going to the cold front's going to blow in on a Friday night. And then Saturday is going to be epic. Uh, so that's coming. And that Friday before the 15th, um, I sneak in there about uh, about midday and i dump out 20 pounds of corn and some liquid molasses right by his scrape i just i just had a feeling he'd be to the scrape and he'd find the corn so now i dump it far, out on the 15th. how far are you taking this back in trev oh uh 800 over 800 yards okay so you got a long kind of a, i mean that's a decent hike to get back there with yeah this. it takes like it takes like 30 minutes to walk it back in there just up and down and well there's a quicker way to go and, and honestly anybody who would just start hunting this farm would actually walk right into this patch of woods and, and blow the buck out of his bed. But I'm taking a big, huge loop around staying out of sight. And so basically when I'm, when I'm putting this corn out, when I'm fixing up this scrape and, and, and setting this stuff up, I'm within a hundred to 120 yards of where he's bedding. Cause I've scouted this wood lot and I know the bed, I know exactly 
where he's laying and what he's doing. And uh, so, yeah, so the average person would have blown this buck out the first time they went in there. But luckily I knew the farm and I could skirt everything and, and get in there undisturbed. Mm-hmm. Um, so is that kind of what you meant? Yeah. Yep. Okay. Yep. yep. Okay. So I do that and uh, put the corn out. Well, oh, here's the kicker. So part of this bedding area, part of this 400 by 100 yard stretch that he's bedding in is pasture field. And the Wednesday before the Wednesday before I killed him, the farmer moved his cattle into that part of the bedding area. And the farmer always checks the fence and the whole paddock before he moves the cows in. And uh, I knew I knew for sure that the farmer busted the tall eight out of his bed when he did that. And I, I did not have that Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, I did not have that buck on trail camera coming to that scrape or that or that corner of the bean field. And so I oh what's up? There's one more part of the story. Um didn't you also have an issue with uh, some people showing up on camera like that Sunday oh my before? Goodness, yeah. Okay. So there's like a little there's like a somewhat of an urban area. Not it's more it's more country, but wait, yeah, urban. So there was a October 10th, uh, the six days before I killed him, um, uh, I had a little family hiking back along the woods there, and they literally walked right through a scrape, and he did not work that scrape, so from October 10th until I killed him, he never touched that scrape again um, after they walked through it. I don't know if there's a correlation there or not, but... So you got squirrel um, hunters messing up one hunt. You got a family on a Sunday (laughs) afternoon hike, and then the farmer goes right into the bedding area the week before. What made you think that this was going to work on Friday? Well, I didn't think it was going... I didn't think it was going... I went in there, I told you, and I told a couple other people, I'm like, I'm just going to try to kill a doe in this spot and get the heck out and go to another place on the farm. So I actually went in there that Saturday to kill a doe. I, I told you, I was like, if it was just me and the tall eight playing the game, I could kill him, but I was like, there's so many outside factors. I don't think this is going to happen. Yeah. Um, so I'm, I, I get in there, uh, pack my stand in 800 yards and get set up and I'm just waiting on uh, some does maybe to start moving. And, um, beautiful. Describe, even describe just, your, describe your setup a little bit. Where are you in relation to like the, the corn and all that? Okay. So, um, uh, this is a huge, okay. So you got the, I'm on the, his patch of woods he's bedding in. I'm on the far northeast corner and the wind's coming out of the west. Okay. Um, he's, he's bedded. I'm looking towards where he's bedded. He's bedded like 125 yards straight in front of me. And I actually, so I'm on the actually edge of the property line. I'm about 10 yards off the property line. And behind me is a big pond and a dam. So he physically cannot get downwind to me. I, I like a setup where, because especially if you use corn, sometimes they want to circle downwind, but this, this dude wasn't even going to try it because he, he didn't feel like swimming downwind of me. Um, so, and yeah, and I've got a bean field to my right, timber to my left. And so another thing I want to mention too, is this buck had more food than you can imagine. So he, he could basically roll over on his back in his bed, open his mouth and the acorns would fall in his mouth. Um, he had hundreds of acres of oak trees and I actually have it in my video. It looks like somebody brings a load of, you know, when they bring a load of gravel and they dump it, yeah. that's what it looked like. Someone just tossed shovelfuls of, of acorns out. And, oh, wow. um, so, and then he's got, I don't know, he's got 40 acres of beans to his North and South, and he's got the luscious, most beautiful clover to graze on. 
and he for some reason that well i know i mean the corn and molasses he was up at 6 p.m the night i killed him he uh he pops up and he is eager to get to that corn he, he just marches right up to it um without a care in the world and um i'm shaking so bad at this point i, I actually have to push my back right leg up against the tree because he actually glances up at me one point and my leg was just quivering really hard. And, uh, you can see in the video, my tip of my arrow is shaking pretty, pretty bad. And, and at one point in the footage, you can see all the leaves on the tree shaking. <laughs> I'm in a, I'm in a tree that's like six inches in diameter and I'm like 10 feet off the ground. Uh, hang and, on stand, uh, right? Hang on stand. XOP yeah. vanish. Yeah. Yeah. And I like those. I'd rather, I'd rather be in a tree six inches in diameter with a bunch of limbs and a bunch of leaves than I would be on a, a straight telephone pole 20 feet off the ground. Yeah. But, uh, so I got, it took me a little while to get set up in that tree, but I, I got in there pretty early that day. Um, so am I, am I hitting everything so far? Yeah, you've done a good job. So you see the buck, he's coming, you're shaking. Let's get to it, man. So he comes in, uh, yep. describe that moment and kind of what you're doing and kind of your thought process as he, as he, uh, comes into your, um, he, your as strategy. He's approaching there. the corn. I, I did the same thing I did with the big 10. I, he's got a nice white rack and long times. And I start looking at it and I, I like snap out of it. I said, no, I said, your business is behind the shoulder. <laughs> and at that point I'd never looked at his antlers again. I was just focused on the back crease of that leg. And I'm like, that's, this is where I'm doing business. I don't, I'm just here to put the arrow right there. And he turns broadside and I actually go to raise my bow and he lifts his head up, kind of looks in my direction. So I freeze. Um, and then he puts his head back down and then I get drawn on him. Now, what I didn't realize it, it looking at the video, but he's kind of, his legs are so long. He's a long, goofy looking thing, but he, he's kind of got his legs tucked, his front legs tucked way back so he can bend his, his head over to get to the ground. And, um, he's got, so that front leg is back about six or eight inches further than normal. And I put the tip of the arrow right on the front leg and that gives me a good left and right. So that's what I did. And, and, um, the, the arrow went exactly where I was aiming, but as he stretches out the run, I can see it's back a little bit, maybe like, um, a third of the way back in his body, still in the ribs. And I'm like, oh boy. So hit him back a little bit. We're going to have to give him some time. Um, Ended up, ended up catching the liver and then just smashed on the offside lung. Okay. Um, so that was a, it was actually a pretty good shot. And he, he does a big mule kick and just, he runs like a banshee out of there. Um, yeah. You got good video of it. Yeah. I got some decent footage of that. Um, and then I just lose it after that. Like I literally can't stop shaking. I almost cried a couple times just cause it was so emotional. And um, I snuck out of there with my camera went home looked at the footage confirmed what i thought it was back a little bit so i left how, how are you feeling there. at that point you called me and i oh, know that there was that's some frustration right. so, and um yes, there's a I lot of things about, kind of playing into this <laughs> i forgot about this detail so i had a, a head i've been a few, uh, so i'm really anal about sharpening my broadheads like i make that there's they're like a scalpel they're super sharp they will just pop the hair right off your arm Anyway, so I had three sharp ones in my quiver. I had a field tip, and then I had a, proc, a practice broadhead. Anyway, so I pull, when I get in the tree, I pull the right, I pull the right, um, the sharp, I pull the sharp broadhead out, put it on my bow, 
And I'm sitting there a few minutes and I'm like, hey, I want to shoot this field tip at this leaf out here. Just make sure I can hit it. So I put the sharp broad head away and I pull the field tip out. I shoot the field tip, hit the leaf. And then as I'm pulling, I'm pulling the um, next, the, my broadhead back out, I pull the wrong arrow out. I grab the arrow that has the, what I consider a dull broadhead. It was actually a broadhead I sharpened right as the season opened and I'd shot it into the target maybe 15 times. So in my opinion, I would resharpen that, but it was probably about what most people hunt with. So I'm kind of like stressed out. What's that? Yeah, that's true. <laughs> I mean, I've seen some rages after they went through the rib cage. They're not very sharp. So, yeah. um, but anyway, so I'm kind of stressed because it was a doll broadhead, which wasn't probably that doll. And um, so this whole field is surrounded by an electric fence. I've been <laughs> to get into this thing to, to work the scrape, put the camera out, put the corn out, pack my stand in. I've actually been jumping over like a four foot tall electric fence. And I'm kind of, there's, there's a right of way that I could actually pull within a hundred yards of where I shot the buck, just drag him out real easy, but couldn't get permission from the neighbor to use that right away. So I got I had to find a good buddy, Matthew. He, he met me there at first light the next morning and we finagled our way through the electric fence. And uh, we went up to the, to the spot where we shot him. There was, there's some decent blood right there. And we literally just started walking and peeked into the woods and his bright white belly was laying there. He may have went 40, 50 yards, something like that. Um, he just went out of sight and that's where he was dead. Uh, so that was a big relief. The meat, the meat was okay. Um, salvaged the meat. Yeah. And, uh, so yeah, that's kind of how it went down and it was probably a better shot than what I thought, um, originally. Yeah. Yeah, you sent me the footage, and it was like, yeah, it was kind of hard to tell because he is, I mean, you look at it, it, he definitely is bent way over, so you're really not too far off the mark that way, quartering to a little bit, so um, he, I, I, I kind of thought, you, too, I, I mean, got, I felt like the way he kicked, oh. I, I, whenever you sent me the footage, like, you watch his, yeah. it seems like whenever you just straight on gut shoot a deer, they typically hunch over, tail tuck, and they're just kind of yeah. like a, a dog that's been shamed running away kind of thing. And yeah, that, this yeah. guy, I mean, he did a big kick and his tail's flopping. And I was like, oh, man, it seems like, I know yeah, it's hard it to like tell in slow-mo, but it seemed like you had some good good things there. You, you described, Trav, this being like emotional. And I know that you get excited. I get excited, obviously, whenever we shoot, shoot bucks. But why was this um, different? Was this different than any bucks you shot in the past? What made well, this yeah, I mean, more of like an this... emotional experience for you? Well, at this point last year, I thought I would be hunting with a crossbow for the rest of my life. And traditional archery is my passion. Like I don't golf. I don't, I don't play pool. I don't have a favorite sports team that I root for. I don't play basketball with the guys on Friday night, like traditional archery and hunting like is my hobby. And, um, that means a lot to me to be able to shoot a bow and, and to be at a point a year ago where. I thought I would be hunting with a crossbow and then there's, and there may be a point in my life. I do hunt with a crossbow because you know, our bodies don't last forever, but to just to be back at it and to take a nice buck like that with a, with a recurve, it, it meant more than anything else because I, I had taken it for granted for a long time. Like my whole life, I took shooting a bow for granted. And then when something that you love is like yanked out of your hands, um, yeah. that's, I don't know. I just have a different appreciation for, for that, if that makes sense. 
Oh, absolutely. I think anything, anytime in life, um, just little things like our health, you know, and just in general, yeah. a few weeks ago, I, I caught some sort of paraflu kind of thing. Or well, it was after my first hunt, my very first hunt, I was up in there, came down out of the stand and I started having cold chills and I was just, I was like, what is wrong with me on the way to the car? And then that took me out for like a week. Like I haven't been that sick yeah. in a while and it wasn't COVID or anything. It was just some sort of extra flu going around. And man, I just, I just, during those yeah. moments, I just thought, you know, there are people that live like this. There's people that go through hard things and hard times and cancer. And it's yeah. just like, you just, the, that next day that you start feeling good, you are just so thankful because yeah. you know, you've, you've realized this is a gift. Like I've been given a gift to even feel yeah. this good all the time. And, uh, so just, yeah. I don't know, something about learning to appreciate what God gives you in that moment is, is good. Absolutely. That's huge. And, and that's why it was emotional I'd, for me. Just, yeah. I mean, that, that would be it for sure. Yeah. Uh, so. I think it's, I think a lesson for all of us. I mean, count your blessings. It's hard to do sometimes in the moment, but you, you, when it's taken away, you, you learn that, but I wanted Absolutely. to, yeah. I wanted to dive into this mobile corn strategy a little bit more, if, if that's okay, okay sure. with you. Um, yeah, let's do it. Okay. So this is something I'm, I'm still learning from you because I feel like the last few years you have definitely um, figured this out. You figured out, I mean, you've killed, have pretty much like the last four years, all of your bucks have came almost, I mean, in, in October, right? Yeah. Um, the last three years. Um, last three. Let's see. Let's see. Uh, see, see, three years ago was on October 17th. Last year was October 8th. And this year was October 16th. But you, that's not, yeah. that's impossible because there's this thing called the law, Trav, and you cannot yeah, kill a buck during law. the law because they're, and, they're and nocturnal. Those, all those bucks were with over an hour of daylight. Well, the average time was probably like an hour and a half of daylight left when I killed them. All right. On, so a, field, on a field edge, on a field edge. So here's where we're going to go with this. And, and I want to preface this because we've talked about this before. I know that there are some States, obviously this is, is you're not allowed to use bait of any type. So, you know, obviously out of the question, but, and some guys hunt public and you can't do that. But I think for a lot of us, we have private farms. Those are, it is legal uh, to, to do. Um, there's kind of this stigma about using corn for some reason or, or whatever. We had a guy comment on one of our videos about using corn. We, we get that hate all the time on different things that we've done. Um, and I think there's kind of this perception about how guys use it. And it seems to me you have a different way of using it than what maybe most guys do. So let's just start with that kind of from a, um, yeah. let's go bird's eye view. Uh, and then we'll kind of get down and we'll nitpick a little bit and kind of figure out some things. I know this podcast is usually about stories, but I feel what you're doing yeah. here is worth mentioning to guys sure. that are trying to figure like guys like me trying to figure out. So let's, from a bird's eye view, how did you start messing around with the, the corn? What made you do it differently than well, what I had? What I had an all, well, I had a couple aha moments. So I used to work at Tractor Supply, and there was a guy I got to know pretty well coming there, and he showed me some absolute giant bucks. And he, and this would have been in like 2013. And uh, I was like, "How do you kill them?" He's like, "Well, he's like, you just find a house or a pond, and you back up against it so the deer can't get downwind of you." And they dump the corn out and, and they'll come into it. And I always thought you couldn't kill a mature buck over it. So, all right. So I had that in the back of my head. And then I actually, in 2014, I got a feeder, a deer feeder. And I killed a, I killed a decent buck over it. But what I figured out with the deer feeder, like you get, one, <laughs> you feed them from July until October and you get one hunt out of it. Like that seems like a lot of effort wasted for one hunt, because once you educate the deer, you can just forget about it the rest of your season hunting there. 
And then fast forward to 2015, I'm hunting down at Joey Barrett's and we, we were having a hard time getting on deer. And so on a whim, we dumped out a 50 pound bag of corn and I hop in the tree the next morning. So like less than 24 hours after I dumped this corn out and uh, there are deer cruising into this corn pile all morning. There, I, I missed a mature 130 inch eight point. Uh, that was my first year with the recurve. I missed like 11 deer that year. But anyway, and I'm like, wow, these deer are ignorant to it. They're not circling down wind. It's like they just come in with their guard down. Okay. So I'm like, oh, wow. Okay. So I started, I started observing if I were to dump some corn out in a location that corn has never been dumped out before. Those deer, like for the first 24, 48 hours, maybe first three days, are like absolutely ignorant that it that it's a human presence because they just come in with their guard down and you could you really don't start getting into them associating it with human um, intrusion until you go back two or three times to freshen it up. And then when they smell your tracks coming back and back and back again, then they start to get cautious and come downwind and they're like, okay, this is a human intrusion. But like that initial first three, two to three days, they're, they're just ignorant to it. And uh, so I started figuring that little bit out. And then I started, I started hunting more with the recurve. And I was like, I cannot get these deer within 20 yards. Like I hunted 2018 and I, I was seeing deer every hunt in compound range, but I could not get them within bow range. So I'm like, okay, there's, so like, say there's a meadow, like 200 yards long, and it's got a dozen trails on that 200 yard stretch. You know, those deer I was, I was noticing would come out on a random trail. They'd never come out on the same trail every night. There was like no rhyme or reason to it. So what I did, I would get on the complete downwind side of all 12 trails. I would put like a Creek or an open field or something behind me. And I'd put the corn pile 15 yards in front of me. And wouldn't, you know, sure enough those deer would march right to the corn pile right in front of me and i'd kill them and i i whacked a ton of deer on that um and i just got to, to to figuring that if you can put it in their path or you can't do this randomly you kind of have to have a place the deer will already be but you can bring them to within 15 to 20 yards of your setup um with only a few days notice, uh, there, there's not, none of this baiting since July, none of this running feeders. You know, I, I think I could kill six deer with a 50 pound bag of corn. All it would take is 10 pounds of corn to, to do it for each deer. And, yeah. um, and, and, it, and 10 pounds of corn is the difference from one walking by at 35 yards or one giving you a 15 yard broadside shot. That's, that's 10 pounds of corn is the only difference there. Um, and like that buck I killed this year, he, there's a dozen different directions he could have got out of that bed and went. And if I would not have put that little bit of corn and that molasses out, I guarantee you 100%, I would still have my buck tag in my pocket. Yeah. So that's just kind of where I'm at with it. Is it 100%? Absolutely not. But I would say I spend more time scouting, finding the deer, and then I just move in, put the corn out and hunt and I would say I kill deer probably three out of four hunts. Yeah. Probably. You that's have probably... extremely, you have extremely good percentages and, and that's something that I'm still working on and I'm learning from you on that. And I think, I think, you know, on this farm being part of it is, you know, where they bed, right? So, you know, yeah, where you they gotta bed. be, 
yeah sorry go ahead yeah i want to get into like kind of okay. dissecting this even a little bit more so in order for this to work i think yeah. one of the things you have to know is where they bed what are some other yes. variables as far as what do you have to know in order for this you're not just going out to a spot like well i saw a deer here one time let's throw out some corn yeah, let's right. throw up a camera you you have you're looking yes. at maps you're looking at so what are some of these variables that you're okay. looking for to, so make, I need, to set need, this up you need to be within 100 to 125 yards of the bed of the buck if you want to kill a buck in october you need to be within 100 yards of his bed and you actually need to be in a location where he's going to come anyway um maybe he's getting there 15 minutes after dark but you need to be where he's going to come and there's three there's three key elements you have to have to make it work i won't i will not hunt a buck in october unless i'm within 120 yards of his bed unless uh it's a cold front unless the jury app says dark green and if there's a red moon, it's a, it's a plus. Um, mm -hmm. So if those three things line up, man, O'Day, it, your success rate will be through the roof. And, and what, I, what I like to find, too, if I'm, if I'm scouting a buck with a trail camera, if it's a hot day, hot muggy day, and he's showing up within an hour after shooting light, I, I know that on a cold front, I can kill him in daylight. Um, okay. But if he's showing up at 2, 2 a.m., I'm like, eh, this isn't worth it. You know, he's probably not going to get there in time. But, I mean, if, if, and if you're seeing him on the camera at like 6.30 a.m. right before shooting light, you know he's bedding really close, especially if you see him several times. Um, and then I can't stress how important it is to um, spend some time in the woods in February and March. Like, you can get up in there, find the, find the beds, find where they want to be, and – and if you see a buck do something like this year, I, within a few days of the following year, if the, if the circumstances and the environment's the same, he's going to do the exact same thing. I, I promise you he will. Um, so, I mean, that's basically kind of what I'm doing. Um, is that, yeah. is that what you wanted or? Yeah, man. I think that's, okay. I think that makes sense. I think, um, you know, you and I have talked about some of my properties and places that, and for me, it's just taking some time to figure out where the beds are. Um, last yeah. year I found a bedding kind of in an unfortunate way. I shot a buck and uh, hit him a little low, come to find out. And I tracked him onto this other property, got permission, of course. And I went into finally figured out, Oh, this is a good bedding area up here. Found all kinds of beds. He was bedded up there. Yeah. And it took that to kind of figure it out. Like, where are they? You know, when it's an open field and you can kind of see it, maybe it makes it a little bit easier because you can see where they're going at night but and coming out in the yeah. morning. But it's just, I think, it just takes some effort. Like what you said a little bit ago is you spend a lot of time scouting before you go and hunt. And for me, my thing is I just love to hunt, so I just get in there. And, and sometimes I'm probably messing up what could be a dynamite spot because I'm just hunting and hoping instead of hunting yeah. and expecting. And I think that might be the difference is that you hunt and expect Hey, this could work because of the strategy. Um, you know, yeah. and there's always, and like think, you said, there, there's those variables, there's squirrel hunters and uh, <laughs> other right. things, but yeah. Right. There's nothing guaranteed, but you can definitely stack the odds in your favor. Um, and I, and I, like I said, I, I bounce these cameras a lot and I like a buck will tell you when he's ready to be killed. And I, I might try a dozen different areas before I find a buck that's ready to be killed. I was telling you the other day, it's kind of like, when you're when you're bouncing cameras and driving the back roads it's kind of like drawing a card from uno and you keep drawing until you draw the card that says bucks ready to be killed you might have 40 cards in your hand by the time it happens but, but 
but when you get that card, then, then you're able to play that card and you win the game. Um, I, I don't, I don't mess. If I want to shoot a buck, I don't mess with bucks that aren't ready to be killed, I guess. Yeah. Um, and, they, and they'll let you know when they're ready to be killed. Um, yeah. And now one, one last variable, and I know we, we touched on this, but uh, cell cams, how has that changed? Has that changed the game for you? Oh at all my this goodness, year, dude. That's, that, yeah. that's cell cams are, cell cams are cheating. It's an unfair, they should make them illegal. It's an unfair advantage <laughs> for the hunter. <laughs> well, some, some states, some states are making them illegal. Dude, they, it's, yeah. It is. I'm, um, I have a huge unfair advantage and it's not even close to fair now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But I love them. I'm not going to, I'm going to use them because I love them, but it, it's, uh, it's made it, it's made it too easy. Yeah. That's what it's done. <laughs> well, and um, I mean, I own three of them now because yeah. I mean, I think about some of my properties, um, in order to, for me to get back to a trail camera, the amount of scent trail I have to leave to get back to track, yeah. to even check a, a trail camera, it just kind of shoots me in the foot already. Um, yeah. so there's that aspect. There's also the aspect of whenever I put out a trail camera, doggone it, Trev, I want to check it like within two weeks. Yeah. Right. You, you, you're, yeah. I think trail cameras like before the I, cell cams almost sometimes were a detriment. Like that one year, the most bucks I ever saw, I didn't run a trail camera that entire year. I just went to random yeah. locations, popped I, up for the first time and I saw deer everywhere. And yeah, cause that's exactly right. I stopped using trail cameras like four or five years ago because my influence in checking them was too much of a disturbance to make it worth my while putting them out. But yeah. dude, it, the, yeah. So I love cell cams. They're a game changer, but if they made them, made them illegal, I would understand why. Yeah. I mean, it, it, <laughs> knowing that he's there right now, I mean, that gives you that, that benefit and that factor for sure. And so yeah. I, I hope that for my sake, while I'm still trying to figure this out, I know you think it's easy, but for me, I still hope that they, they remain legal in our state for. <laughs> no, I hope they do years. too. I hope they do too. But <laughs> if you, I mean, I, I can't lie. I got to be honest. <laughs> no, no, no. I want you to be, I want you to be, but no, it's, it is a, a I mean, we, uh, well, we can say, I mean, we're not sponsored or anything, but Tacticam Reveal is a really, uh, yeah. I love it because for me, I can't afford some of those cam like cell cams are like 300 bucks or whatever. And it's just like, man, I can't, yeah. I can't do that. My wife's not going to approve, but uh, you know, the Tacticam reveals, those are at it's a, a really reasonable and they the work price really is amazing. well. Yeah. Amazing so. price. And one other thing too, I just pointed out about this whole corn strategy. If I, if I were hunting this, hunting this tall eight buck without corn, I would probably have to throw maybe 20 hunts at him before I would encounter him just yeah. because his movement was so random and with a young girl and with a four, with a young daughter, with a wife, with a full-time job, I don't have time to neglect my family. Like, and my hat's off to those guys that, that do it fair without the corn. Yeah. But the, the corn to me puts me back with my family and, and some of the other things um, rather than going on a random hunts and, hoping he decides to walk by my oak tree when he's got 40 other oak trees he could walk by that night. Yeah. So I think I that's a that good makes, point. Yeah. No, yeah. no, it is. And I, I think a lot of guys, there's a lot of negativity toward corn or feeders or whatever. And I think some guys think that just, there's a perception from guys that don't use it, that all you got to do is throw out the corn and they're going to come and you just kill them. Well, you and I both know that that we we've done that. We've done the feeders yeah. we've done. And yes, maybe on a, a cold snap or if they're super hungry, you might be able to, and there's guys that do that. Um, but what you're talking about is a little bit more, in my mind, no offense to anybody that uses that way, but yeah. you, there's a little bit more strategy involved trying to figure out. It's not, 
trying to yeah. put it out in the same old spot that you put it every year. It's trying to read right. the bucks, scowl, exactly. and use and I, it to I your will, advantage. I will, it's mobile, called mobile corn hunting because once I hunt it, I'm done with it. I do not, I, I get rid of that spot and I go to the next spot. Um, yeah. It's a one and done thing. And I'm only going to put 20, 15, 20 pounds of corn for one hunt, you know, and, and I feel terrible for the guys that put tons of corn out for months in advance. And those guys have got one hunt and they've just ruined that spot. Um, yeah. And, and one other tip of advice, if you can put a barrier, if you can run like between you and the corn, if you can put like a, a creek or if you can put a well-structured fence or if behind you, you can put water or a big deadfall or a drop off or a back to someone's backyard or an open field. If there's any kind of obstruction that makes it inconvenient for them to get downwind of you, that that's almost a hundred percent foolproof setup right there. So that's one thing I always consider when I'm making the setup. Yeah. So well, that's good. Anyway. Man. Well, I think if, if guys, if you have any questions on that, or if it's something that's piqued your interest or something that you want to try, you know, you can send us a message. I'm sure Trav, you'd be able to kind of maybe help given, you know, some information and some of that stuff, but on our Facebook or Instagram, if you want to shoot us a message on shedding light outdoors, we can explore that a bit more, but no, I mean, I think that's a good overview and kind of a good uh, understanding of how you're doing it. Uh, and this is year after year after year. Now, this is not just a random luck kind of thing. You killed 170, well, what was no, 160? Uh, I killed, yeah, I killed 163 inch five-year-old last year, don't it? Yeah. And I, and so. if I, I mean, here, here's another kicker too. I am not a big buck hunter. Like if you get me a 110 inch three-year-old, oh man, I will shake the tree down and kill it. So <laughs> if, if I was a little bit persistent, I could kill whoppers every year with it, but but that's just, I don't have that desire to do that. So maybe yeah. someday I will, but yeah, no, that's awesome, man. So yeah. you got this on video. Um, yeah. Yeah. Video is almost done. Okay. So by the time this episode is released, I'm going to bet that this video will probably be released. Yeah. I don't, we don't have any other videos in the queue right now. So I'd say we will throw this one out there. So if you guys go sure. over to um, our YouTube channel, setting light outdoors, yeah. um, this will be the most recent video, I believe. So uh, how's, awesome. how's, how are you feeling about the video, Trav? I think it's fun. It's a, it's a basic, simple, straightforward video. Uh, you'll basically see everything we talked about in the video. Um, so, yeah, you know, the only thing I did not put in the video were trail cam pictures, yeah. you know, and I don't think you need them because you, you get to see them at the end. Right. But, uh, yeah. There was one. Anyway. Did you, uh, so you did put it, you did have a trail cam picture of this buck stepping out of his bed on his Yeah, like a minute before your... I. A minute yeah. before I shot him, I don't know. I didn't put it in there. Maybe no, I should. No, that's all good. No, no, yeah. no, it's all good. It's all good. No, yeah. I, I just thought that was neat. Well, <laughs> yeah, um, kind of funny. So, yeah. Congratulations, buddy. I mean, I, hey, I'm thanks. stoked for you and pumped, and just still learning from you and what, the way that you go about things. And I think, um, it, it's yeah, just, I don't know. It's just exciting. I think you're right. Being able to minimize your hunt so that you get back with your family. I mean partly hunting is going out, and for some guys, it's that decompression. And even if you don't see something, it's still good but those hunts can stack up and then you get into the rut and it just can, you know, guys know I've talked about a thousand times on here. It can become that addiction. So sometimes having a strategy, whatever it is, um, yeah. if it works for you, use it. I mean, get in there and get it done and, and be efficient. I think that's a good, good plan too. Yeah. Hey, well, everybody a good luck this year and I hope everyone has fun and um, hope your arrows fly straight and your blood trails are very, very short. 
Now, real quick, you mentioned this. I got to ask, what's yeah. what's the game plan for Pickett? Are you going to continue to keep pro, uh, an eye on him? I don't or? know. I I think and I I'm thinking I if I would have passed this buck, I could probably kill him. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Uh, the game plan for Pickett, I might try to put my dad probably put my dad on him. Yeah. I just. Um, Man, I'd like for him to just stay safe until 2022. But there you go. Oh my gosh. I don't know. We'll see. I I don't get. I don't. Man, I feel terrible for the guys that get caught up and only want to shoot one buck. Man, that just that just wrecks their lives. And <laughs> gee, my knees. I am so sorry if that's you. But yeah, I'd, I'd be happy with anything that steps in front of me. So uh, that's good, yeah, man. Well, Trav, I enjoy the conversation. Yeah. I know you got to get back to work. I got to do the yep. same. And I appreciate you coming on, sharing your story. Congratulations, yeah. and I'm so yeah, glad thank that you, you thanks. were able to be a part of all that and enjoy it so hey thanks for thanks for having me on trav i appreciate it buddy all right you have a good day brother we'll talk to you later you too yeah love you bye always love talking to my buddy uh enjoy having him on the show he does a good job just kind of unpacking stuff and i hope that's something you enjoyed and if you are able to use corn and maybe it's something just triggered we just want to share it to, to be helpful um if it's not your thing then by all means continue to do what you're doing if it's working for you uh, we do not claim that it's the only way or anything like that. Uh, in fact, I haven't even figured it out myself yet. I'm still learning. <laughs> so yeah, I do feel like this year I have kind of turned a corner in my strategy. It used to be I just kind of went to places where I thought, you know, I'd see deer and I'd see a deer there and then I'd just hunt that spot over and over again. And I'd go back in without any rhyme or reason. And, and I think what's helped me this year is the cell cams trying to understand that, understand a strategy with scrapes. Um, I also think that the DeerCast app is a very handy thing. Um, you know, they being able to look on there and see, okay, what what are the conditions that cause deer to move? Uh, I don't think it's a gimmick. I think there's a lot of things that go into that. The barometric pressure, the cloud cover, the wind, the all of the things, rain, um, obviously the temps, the time of year, all of those things make a difference in how, how deer move. So for me, I try and, I don't base everything off of that. I mean, I, I did go to West Virginia and hunted on a poor day, <laughs> according to the deer cast, and it was pretty poor, but I was in a bad spot. It could have been dynamite if I would have been maybe a little bit closer to feed or whatever, but learning as I go. Um, and I love talking to Trav. He, he has a way of doing things that works for him. And so, um, just some good stuff. And I'm so happy for him watching his reaction after the shot on video is so genuine because he really wasn't sure if he'd ever shoot a bow again. And so just him being grateful for that, those moments, um, reminds me of Psalm 103 verse 1 it says bless the lord o my soul and all that is within me bless his holy name bless the lord o my soul and forget not all his benefits who forgives all your iniquity who heals all your diseases who redeems your life from the pit who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles you know forget not all his benefits um it is so easy sometimes for us to forget those things we we forget just we can complain about little things. We complain about things that frustrate us. We get depressed and on Facebook or whatever, all those things we've talked about before. It's easy to kind of forget just maybe some of the good things we have, our health, um, the, the places that we live, the places that we can hunt, the freedoms that we have in this country. I mean, I talked to some other people from other countries, uh, Australia, to name a few, and there's definitely some restrictions going on right now. Um, and I know that we get frustrated all that, but I, all I'm saying is, if you take a look back and you look at your life, I'm going to bet that there's probably some ways that God is blessing you that we don't even realize. Every day, being able to move, being able to have use of our limbs, having use of, 
just our minds to do different things. Um, I think about my mom who has Alzheimer's and um, isn't able to talk anymore. Like she's lost the ability to speak. And I just think about how frustrating that has been for her. Now I don't know if she's, I have no idea what's in her mind and how frustrating that can be for her. Um, We're blessed and we need to not forget God's benefits. You know, you, you go through what Trav went through and you, a guy who not just loves to hunt, he loves archery. He loves to shoot like daily. He's out there every day with that trad bow flinging arrows. And he is a very good shot. Uh, I've seen him shoot 40 and 50 yards with a trad bow and be very, very consistent. Um, and I just look at that and then you lose that ability and you just learn to appreciate it. So I just encourage you right now, take a minute and, and there's this phrase, an old song that we talk about called count your blessings. Um, count them. Think about all the ways uh, where God has truly blessed you in your life. And if you focus on that, maybe it'll be easier to kind of get past some of those, those hard times. You'll remember, hey, I've got some really good things going. Um, and you go into those hard times, and it, it does make you appreciate the good moments that you have. So just thought I'd throw that there for you guys to consider to chew on. Hope that you guys are doing well. Hopefully here in the next couple of weeks, we'll have some more exciting stories. I do have at least two or three more stories lined up. My buddy Bobby Andrews is coming in. I've already told him, buddy, you got to record a podcast with me if you're coming into town. So <laughs> we'll do a little rut uh, but update as we go and uh, yeah, super excited so hope that you guys do well and uh, be safe out there and until next week remember to shed the light